Good morning. It's so lovely to have you all with us this morning. My name is H and I am on the staff team at Holy Trinity Clapham. Today we are continuing our theme of restricted but advancing. We are looking at Paul's book to the Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians, where he is in prison, he is restricted, and yet he has this full expectation that the gospel still has all the power to advance. And it's an incredibly apt book for us today. We find ourselves in a state of restriction, and yet we can have the same hope that Paul had for the Philippians and for the gospel, that even in our restriction, the gospel will still advance. Last week, we heard from the beginning of chapter two of Philippians, Tim spoke to us. And in this beginning passage of chapter two, we see this astounding description of the person of Jesus. He is this captivating, compelling person who goes to the very end, the very lengths, in order to give us salvation. He goes to the very depths. He gives up everything that he has and more in order for us to be saved. And the passages we're looking at today, verses 12 to 18, they are Paul sort of talking in a continued sense of what the Philippians' response should be to what Jesus has done for them. And Paul, in this passage, he touches on one of the most debated subjects in all of the history of the church. What is it that gives us salvation and what should our response be to salvation? If we are saved by grace, does that mean that we can just surf the wave all the way through the gates of heaven of grace without lifting a finger? We've got our ticket to heaven. We can sit back and relax. Or do we have to work in order to either earn our salvation or perhaps we've been given our salvation, but we have to work in order to maintain our salvation? The age old question and how we link this. Salvation to work, salvation to grace is incredibly important. We have a desk in our living room, which currently doubles up as toy storage for the children. And quite often I'll come into the living room and I will find one of the doors hanging off just one hinge. It's meant to be on two hinges. And I love this desk, so I'm often quite unimpressed when I see how this door has been treated. But the reality is, is that actually it's a cheap desk and that it will regularly fall off its hinges, not because anything my children have done, but because it's a poor connection point. It's a cheap hinge. It's never going to stay on the door very well. Our understanding of the connection point between salvation and works and salvation and grace is absolutely fundamental to our walk as Christians. If we misunderstand it, then we will be permanently sort of misstepping our way through our Christian walk. It's so easy to misunderstand this link between salvation and grace and works. And it's incredibly easy to assume that works are really where it's at. Works are really what either earn our salvation or at least maintain our salvation. It's in our DNA, isn't it? We assume that works and acceptance are linked. I challenge you to try and praise a child for something that they have done without inadvertently linking it to their very worth as a person. It's virtually impossible to separate the two. And actually, even in verse 12, 
we see that it's incredibly easy to misunderstand Paul and to hear this, this perception that works and salvation are linked. Let's look at verse 12. It says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It seems as though Paul in this verse is saying it's all about works, that you receive your salvation through works or you maintain your salvation through works. And instead of in fear and trembling, this horrid fear that if you don't work, if you don't work out your salvation, then you will lose it. You will no longer be saved. Martin Luther, he talks about um, the church in trying to debate how salvation is linked to works or grace. He, he likens the church to a drunk man sitting on a donkey. And he says this drunk man on his donkey, he veers from one side of the path to the, to the right side of the path, saying, oh, it must all be about works. You achieve salvation through works. To the other side of the path. No, salvation is all about grace. You receive salvation through grace. We seem to find it virtually impossible to accept that God alone could be the author of our salvation. And yet at the same time, for there to be a call for a human response to this salvation that doesn't in itself lead to gaining or earning our salvation. So what does Paul say in this passage? Let's go right to the beginning of the passage, verse 12. Paul begins with one word as he starts this passage, the word, therefore. When Paul says, therefore, he's assuming that this isn't a standalone passage to be read on its own, but that we will have already read Philippians 2 up until this point, which means that we will have just read the description of Christ and all that he gave up in order for us to be saved. And in Paul's description, he leaves absolutely no room for human involvement in the authoring of salvation, in the achieving of salvation. He makes it totally clear that God alone is the author of our salvation. Therefore, in no way can we earn our salvation through our works. So what Paul says when he, in verse 12, says, continue to work out your salvation. He's saying, continue to walk in your salvation, in fear and trembling. I.e., you have just received the most incredible gift. And as you hold it in your hands, you sort of, it's almost this sense of awe. This fear and trembling is it's not a fearful fear, it's a, a sense of awe. For you can't quite believe this gift that you have been given. And yet, as you hold it with this or continue to walk in it. Because as you walk in your salvation, you will see more and more of that gift being unfolded in your life. That as you walk in your salvation, you will grow in it. You will grow to maturity in Christ. You will grow spiritually. You will grow more and more like your saviour as you follow his example, as you walk in your salvation. That's Paul's intention. Not that we would be burdened by works, but that we would be so in awe of our salvation that it would be all that we can think about. And that as we work it out, as we walk in it, we see it growing in us and see ourselves growing in it. And it leads us to this high point in the passage in verse 15. 
where Paul's hope is that this gift of salvation will grow so much in the Philippians that it starts to spill out of them and starts to offer up this gift to other people. Let's read verse 15. It says, So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, and then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. As this salvation is worked out in us, we become blameless and pure in the eyes of Christ. We become without fault. And as this happens, as as God is in us doing these things, we start to shine like stars. I don't know about you, but at the moment the world seems darker than ever. And the need for this world to know Jesus feels even more acute. And as we look out at the world, you just I feel this sort of longing even more than normal in me for us as the church to shine like stars, to shine out this hope that we have in Jesus. There seem to have been different responses to this crisis. I read the other day that the searches in Google for how to pray has gone up hugely. And yet other people, they sort of still feel like they're in that mode of being able to keep control of life. They haven't quite got to that point of realising that maybe they don't have all of the answers. For me, during this time, I've definitely been anxious at points. I've definitely been stressed at points. But I've had this sort of underlying piece because I know that nothing the coronavirus can do can take away what Jesus has done for me can take away the hope that I have in Jesus. Because we know that Jesus has the victory, that he has conquered even death. And you look out at the world and you just think, goodness, wouldn't it be amazing if every single person could know that truth, could know that hope. But it's so easy to look at this verse, verse 15, and think, amazing, we're going to shine like stars. Let's go and do it. Let's go and shine like stars. But at no point does Paul actually tell us that we are the ones that do the shining. Actually, if you look very closely at this passage, the command for what we need to be doing in order to shine like stars is right back in verse 12. You might have noticed there was a little bit I didn't put in verse 12 when we've looked at it earlier. But let's look at it again and you will see this additional bit. It says this, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul is urging the Philippians to continue on in their obedience, to continue following this example that Jesus has set in verses 5 to 11. He's saying if you want to shine like stars, if you want to work out your salvation, then open the door to God through obedience. We make this Christian walk sometimes so very complicated and so often we make it about ourselves. But actually Paul is saying it's very simple. There is one thing asked of us and that is to say yes to Jesus, to follow him in obedience. We're not being asked to sort of follow a checklist of all the things we have to do we're being asked to follow a person. And the person that we're being asked to follow, we see in verse 5 to 11. He is the most incredible person we could be asked to follow. 
He is the most captivating, the most compelling human that has ever walked this earth. And when we sit in those verses 5 to 11, we see that actually why on earth wouldn't we want to obey this person, to follow this person? So what he asks of us is for us to say yes. So the challenge to us today is, are you being obedient? Am I being obedient to Christ? Am I being obedient to him in the small things, in my thought life? Am I being obedient to him in the things that I do say or don't say? Or the things that I decide to do? Or the things that I decide not to do? Do I start each day listening attentively to him? Asking him what he would have me to do? Not coming with a list of all the things that I think I should be doing in order to shine. But listening to what he has to say to me. And am I then listening with a heart that's willing to say yes, no matter what it is that he asks of me? That's what we are called to do. And then, what do we do with that obedience? 90% of the time, of the few times that I manage to say yes, I then find that I take far too much on my shoulders. Having said yes to whatever it is that God is asking me to do, I then think I can't possibly do that or I feel burdened by the responsibility of the kind of the weight of what I think I need to do or what God has asked me to do. But actually God just says, say yes to me. And he then comes and does the work through us. Paul puts it like this in verse 13. He says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. At no point does God say, it's over to you, I'm out of here. Paul makes clear that we're in a partnership with God, but actually the ultimate responsibility stays on his shoulders. All he asks is that we become a vessel for him to use by saying yes to him. I've recently been reading um, some of Corrie Ten Boom's books. Her most famous book is called The Hiding Place, and it's all about when her family and her, um, during the Second World War, they hid people who, are, who were vulnerable to the Gestapo, including Jews. And eventually they were caught, and she finds herself in a concentration camp in Germany. And she has since written another book um, that sort of documents everything that she did after the war in her ministry. And Corrie was one of those astounding people who was um, led by God the whole way through her life. And one of the things that I noticed about her faith as you read these books is just this astounding obedience that comes through again and again. Now it's not a sophisticated obedience, if there is such a thing, but it's a childlike obedience. It's the obedience of someone who has learned again and again that her father in heaven is trustworthy and good. And so she's learned to say yes without questioning. She does cite a couple of times when God asks her to do something and, um, and she just thinks she should throw in her penny's worth because she doesn't quite agree with what God is saying. And so she sort of cites this dialogue that she enters into with God but then quite quickly retreats as she realises that actually God knows best and it would have been better just to say 
yes. As Cory writes about lots of the things that God asks her to do, she cites the advice that she is given from a friend. And to me, what I'm about to read sort of sums up what we have read in these verses. This is what her friend said to her. You are not called to convince anyone of the gospel. You are called simply to be an open channel for the Spirit of God to flow through. You can never be anything else, even though you may think so at times. Follow the pathway of obedience. Let the Word of God do its own work, and you will be used by God far beyond your own powers. To me, these words of Corrie's friends, they sort of sum up what the Christian life is meant to look like. That on one hand, there is just a simple obedience from us, but that as we obey God, as we follow Jesus, what he does with our obedience is the most incredible thing, something that we could never have foreseen, that we could never have imagined. That as every day during this season of the coronavirus, we step out in obedience, that he will do wonders through us, that he will show people who he is through us, that we as the church, we will shine during this time. And that people who don't yet know him, people will be claimed for his kingdom, people will come to know him, that might not have ever come to know him if it wasn't for this season. And when we come out of this time and we encounter those people who've come to know him, we can celebrate with the Lord for what he has done through the church, through us. So I'm going to pray and then hand over to Jamie. Lord, we thank you so much for this gift of salvation. And Lord, we thank you that as our salvation unfolds in us and in the lives of others, that we will shine like stars, that people will come to know you, to know your love and to know the hope that we have in you. And Lord, we pray that today you would help us to yield ourselves to your will, to follow you unconditionally, Lord. And Lord, that you would forgive us for where we fail to do this. Amen.